0: This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Join the club by visiting CharcoalBookClub.com and use the promo code TheCandidFrame at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. We also have the support of LensRentals.com, the largest online camera rental house in the U.S. They carry the most popular brands and models of cameras and lenses, but also anything you need for video, lighting, post-processing accessories, and more. Whether you need something for a one-time assignment or want to test it out before you buy, LensRentals.com is there to help. Explore their extensive inventory and save 10% on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at LensRentals.com forward slash newsletter. When I have the opportunity to travel, I'm hoping to have experiences, many of which revolve around interactions with people. As much as I love making photographs, my best memories are of the intimate encounters I have with another human being. Glenn Losack feels that way, and his recent book, The Bonds We Share, speaks to how we are more alike than different, despite the differences of our circumstances. His career as a psychiatrist has given him entree into the most intimate aspects of people's lives, and his photography allows him to do the same, but in a very different and visual way. This is Ibarian X and welcome back to the candor frame. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me and um, congrats on the book. So where are you folks from in Santo Domingo? Santo Domingo?: No, no, my dad was from Montecristi and my mom from La Vega. Okay Cibaeño. Yeah. Do you speak Spanish? Yeah. My 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 banged up Spanish. Oh. I understand everything, but my vocabulary All right. isn't the best. All right. We'll do this in English then. All right. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> the best best way to do it. So again, welcome. Yeah, your background is really interesting, you know, working as a psychiatrist, a physician, and also a photographer. And uh, your medical career has taken you all over the world. As, has a camera always been a part of your, your journey, or is that something you picked up later? Actually, my photography has taken
1: me around the world. I, I do things medical when I'm not doing the photography, but that's my main objective is to take my Nikons to the developing world. I do lectures. I'll hook up with a psychiatrist that's local in weird places like Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, India, Bangladesh just to meet the local, get invited to the family, see how they live. But I'm I'm pretty much there for my photographic
0: uh, goals since 90, I guess since since 85. Tell me about the inception of that, because I think uh, a lot of people thought it would be in the reverse in terms of, you know, you're going out there to do work, and you just so happen to have a camera, and then you start taking it seri- more seriously. So, how did you come up with the idea of, of thinking, you know, I want to f- focus on my photography, but I also want to be of service in this way, and that'll give me an opportunity to have an access that I might not otherwise?
1: Th- that's the reason I, I get, I worked with the Presbyterian Church for many, many years, and other organizations, too numerous to mention, they said, why don't you go out and take your camera to these nations, bring us back some photos with the internet available, click the mouse and get a psychiatrist in the countries I'm going to. And so I sort of have both available. But my my, my main passion is photography, photojournalism, shooting those that have no social I have no advocacy mm-hmm. so i don't if, if that's confusing, I use both venues since i'm there on the other side of the world i mean I've given lectures in Peru and Spanish and done a lot of things uh, sh- shot in prisons in india but i'm it's basically the camera and course of being a being a physician and a psychiatrist i i take i take you know advantage of that you know in
0: in uh in chiang mai well you know you're you know your position i think what's interesting especially when i was going through flicker and one of the things i really appreciated about the work that you're doing is that many of the times when you are photographing people you're identifying them by name and it's not just you're taking a picture of someone and then you don't know who or what they are especially some people in in the photographs who are suffering from either a disability of some sort or a um, congenital defect and you find out about them in your in your photographs it's just not simply they're not completely just object about objectified for the sake of the photograph and that's something i really appreciated about about your work thank you but i'm sure you've gotten pushback because of that T- tell me about the choice to photograph the people uh, those people in the way that you do how I do it or the pitfalls? What, 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 not how you do it, but you know, in terms of the fact that you're getting to know them as a person, they're not just subject for a photograph that who they are is as important as what they look like in your photograph. There's millions. So if I took an example, uh, Muhammad
1: Islam in Mumbai, I've known him 35 years. He has no lower members and he sits all day in a mosque in Mumbai. So he, Sees me, buys me tea, he won't take my money. And this guy is pretty, pretty disadvantaged. So frequency leads to getting to know people more. And I know a lot of these beggars many, many years. We don't know each other intimately, but it's, you know, I buy them tea. I sit with them. They're not just uh, there to just pop and walk away but i I, you know i don't want to overemphasize that i know them you know their family i learn if there's somebody there that speaks both hindi and english i'll learn more i don't speak that i don't speak hindi that well in the dominican republic i have no problems with people like in the haitian bataes in fact there are people from the lesser antilles that have come that came to Santo Domingo to to work in the sugar mills so they speak english but in india I've, I've got to get someone that will explore the subject uh who speaks both languages or a little bit of both you know i'll find out that that's how he got his heart defect that's how he lost his legs which is a real interesting topic but i'll follow your questions i mean these people that are mutilated mm mm-hmm. Amazing story. Amazing story. It's very little uh, explored. and Even the BBC doesn't do it. I hope I don't get you in trouble. <laughs> it's okay. They cut them. They mutilate their bodies. They have pimps that will cut their legs. Children will get their legs, arms cut. They will get blinded by their mothers and fathers with acid. Mm. So the rest of their life, they make money as beggars. And this is well-known. It's, it's not a secret, and I get, you know, I, I'm shooting that because I want the world to know that.
0: Being witness to, you know, tragedies like, like that and then coming back to your own world, you know, or a relative affluence, it's always been disruptive for me, you know, when I get back because I have a fresher perspective in terms of, you know, how I'm blessed here, you know, with all that I have. But you go back and forth fairly frequently to all these locations. What is the experience for you in terms of being able to see the disparity in terms of what people have and what they don't? Let me just digress for five seconds.
1: When I hit the door, when I get back home, I get on the ground and I kiss my my floor. Uh, Culture shock lasts a couple of days in India, but then after a while I'm immune because I've been there so many times. Uh, when I come back home, it takes about a month. and on how long I'm away, I, I have strong feelings about how we take so many things for granted in the West after my, my journeys. Because I, I don't go to the tourist sites. I don't sit on a tourist bus. I'm in the Valley of the Beast. I'm shooting in alleys. I'm shooting in brothels. I'm shooting in drug dens. I'm shooting everywhere. I can get, my, I can get in trouble. So I'm careful, but the culture shock, I, I don't, I'd like, I think about taking friends to India and I say, I, know, I can't, have you ever been to India? No, not yet. It's another world. And I don't, and I don't mean that in a small sense. It's, it's an overpopulated, chaotic place, which is fascinating to me.
0: How did, how did you think that that affects how you see and what and how you photograph? you know, having that awareness, right, about, you know, the disparity in terms of cultures, in terms of wealth, in terms of, you know, when you're going out there and you're making these photographs of people, you're working as a photojournalist telling a story. So what is sort of the story that you're, you're, you're trying to tell in your, in your photographs? I'm, I'm partial to the impoverished,
1: so I'm not taking pictures of wealthy aristocratic people my vision when i leave that hotel room is i'm seeking out people that are really down in the dumps and have no money depend on the generosity of others to survive another day some are shooting drugs in several parts of their bodies so my my vision is not to go out and Take pictures of the uh, of the Taj Mahal. It's, I have locations in India that I know I'm going to get what I want if I'm lucky. So I know India very well. I know like 20 cities very well, so I know where to go. It's everywhere. Basically, you find out. Uh, they'll have a multimillion-dollar condominium made, and across the street is a slum, and you can smell it miles away. Well, that's the contrast in India, and that's, that's what makes it interesting to me. But I'm focused on the impoverished,
0: and there are millions that are ignored. So, in putting together this book, what did you want people to understand when they when they looked at the images of the book? And the the book is a whole different concept. If I
1: put. If I put a book out from the photos that are on my website, I probably would not have a book. So it was mollified. It was made so that people can be all ages, age appropriate, and uh, palatable for most people to look at. I'm, I'm, I am proud of the photos and the, the bonds we share, but uh, it, I had to. It, it had to be curated by apollo publishers Mm -hmm. and uh, that's okay but uh, i can't you can't go out and stun people with hard-edged i'll use the term james nachtway stuff uh do you know what i'm talking about right Mm -hmm. Um, you know he, he shoots more photography Most people don't want to look at ugly things. They don't want to look at truth. They don't want to look at things that are actually happening uh, in the other part of the world because they're not part of that world. And so I bring that to them in my sights. The book is, again, a wonderful book, but it, it does not include the hard edge, dark, however you want to call my images of people with leprosy mitosis, congenital deformities i i
0: maybe next year <laughs> if i'm lucky well in terms of the, the the title you know it's speaking you know it's speaking to the idea that the people in these photographs that all of us regardless of circumstances or where we are in the world are connected they're very we're they're more similar than we are different absolutely And and tell me about you know the choice the, you know the, in working with the editor in terms of the selection of the images to sort of evoke that, tell us about that collaboration in terms of deciding you know what images what would go into the book
1: i let i let them i sort of gave carte blanche, I okayed them basically it went smooth and i wasn't you know i knew that if, if i need, if I was going to get a book out, they would have to be you know curated
0: for the masses mm-hmm. so yeah. tell me about. You know, when you, when you decide to travel to a particular place, what usually decides where and when you're going to go? Newark or New, New York to Delhi.
1: Business class, 12 hours going, 15 coming. From Delhi, I have a travel agent, 30 years, makes things easier for me. He doesn't put me on a luxury bus. He sets up some hotels in certain areas. So at least I get a good night's sleep and have a few cold beers. So everything else is up to me. I've had car trips throughout India. Uh, I just want to make sure that I I, I have a nice, comfortable place to sleep at night. Except if I'm in places that are really interesting, like the Kummela. The Kummela is where there's 90 million people in the area of uh, a couple of acres. It's every three years and four different places it's the most amazing human festival in the world it's it's the largest human congregation of the world so if, if i have to stay in something shabby hey what's the price i pay but uh that's the preparation that i take i, I try to make it as comfortable as i can in, in these years because when i was a younger guy i would put up with more and uh you can get a dollar hotel in India and share it with uh, whatever. I'll leave that out. I mean,
0: yeah, it's good to have your creature comforts when you're a little older. Speaking of creatures, but you've been to different places, not just India. So when you're thinking about where you're going to go, what kind of research do you, you know, do you do? What kind of, you know, what this, what you know, what information leads you to decide to go to either Haiti or the DR or India or anywhere else in the world where you visit it.
1: I have a history with the DR. I went to med school there in 76. It's uh, a different place now. I call it my second home. So getting there is a cinch. And I stay, in the last five years, I've stayed actually in the town of San Pedro. It's a bed and breakfast. I don't think there's even breakfast. I think it's just a bed. and It's decent. Look, if uh, there's enterprise hotels everywhere. Pretty much, and if you have to stay a night, like I was in the Indian Desert, Kuri K K H U R I, which is almost near Pakistan, I had I had to stay and freeze uh, in a hotel, but at least I got out there. And I don't, you know. So sometimes it's ad lib. Most of the time, the cities are planned, but thanks to the internet. I mean, that should have been my initial answer. Thanks to the internet, I mean, it's amazing. You know, it's it makes things a lot easier. Uh,
0: do you work with a fixture? Or are you just? I mean, I can call. I, do you, Do you work with a fixture sometimes, or are you just kind of doing things on your own? Never. Only recently,
1: a young guy in Bangladesh, great kid, begged me. Works with the finest Bangladesh photographers. He says, "Look." Just give me some, give me a, you know, give me a few hundred, and I'll make your trip so much easier. I'll get you into places. And I said, well, why not? If I don't like them, I'll, I'll tell them. You know, look, it's not working out. But that's the only time I did it recently. Actually, in 2020 in January, he was with me for seven days. Other than that, I am on my own all the time, and I'm walking with two Nikon's, Nikors on train tracks, in slums, alone, probably, it's, it's a mental illness I have, I don't know, but it's, uh, the, the Indians are, during the day, amazing, They're, they love their pictures taken, and I have never, ever encountered a difficult situation in India, and you know, I've been there for 31 years. Or Bangladesh. Talk to me about your approach when you do approach
0: someone to make their, their photograph.
1: You know, I have a very fast camera. I will often shoot, and they won't even know I'm shooting them. In other words, I don't ask permission. Depends on the mood you're in. If fellas looking at you, and you're making eye contact, and there's some chemistry, say, hey, do you mind? You know, they know they're going to get some money, or I'm going to run fast away, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Shooting the streets is 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 you know it's a crapshoot. You gotta have you gotta know how to dance. You gotta you have to you have to be audacious. You can't be shy. You have to get up close. You have to have a great zoom lens, hopefully a fast shutter, because the shots that I get are due to the fact that I. It's like oh, that's. It's like I, my gun, I call it my, my gun, uh, my, my gun and my holster. If I didn't do that, I don't think I would get great material. A lot of times patients, uh, patients people don't know that I'm shooting them.
0: I have been in love with books my entire life. I even remember the day I received my very first library card, and the world that opened up for me. Books have shaped how I think and how I see the world, especially when it comes to books of photography. When I was approached by the Charcoal Book Club, I knew immediately I wanted to partner with them. I loved what they were doing with books, and they got and appreciated what I was doing with the podcast. We share a love for photography, and we have worked hard to give to the community that shares our passion for the visual image. If you love this podcast, I know you'll be thrilled with a membership to the Charcoal Book Club. Each month, you'll receive a first edition monograph and a photographic print for your collection. Take a look at their website and find out more about the great photographers they showcase and the books that they have and continue to offer. If you don't like that month's release, you can choose another one of their titles of similar value. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today. And remember, use the code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. I had been considering reintroducing a Wacom tablet into my digital workflow. I had used one while working as an editor for photo magazines but hadn't invested in one after I left. So I rented a Wacom Intuos Pro from our friends at LendRentals.com. I rented the large model and though I loved using it, I realized that for my workspace, the small unit would be a better choice. Most importantly, I learned how to customize the tablet's express keys for my various editing applications, which made a huge difference for my workflow. And that's something I would never have learned from just reading a spec sheet. That's why I'm a big proponent of renting before you buy. You get that hands-on experience that lets you know if and how a piece of kit will make a difference to your photography. LensRentals.com provides the means to do that. Their vast inventory of gear provides you that hands-on experience that can make the difference for both your photography and your wallet. Check out their inventory and save 10% on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at LensRentals.com forward slash newsletter. And again, thanks to all of you who continue to support the Candor Frame financially. Your contributions make a huge difference for us. And if you haven't become a Patreon supporter yet, why don't you do so today? You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20, or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Frame. Just $5 a month from you can and will make a big difference. Thank you so much for your continued support. As we spoke to earlier, there are a lot of images that I saw in which there is a level of intimacy between you and your subject, because they are conscious, they're aware that you're there, and they may or may not be posing. But I think that that sometimes, for many photographers, it's not the it's not whether or not the person is going to accept being photographed. It's the discomfort of the photographer that prevents them from making the picture. And it seems like that's something that you that you don't really have to worry about at this point. But was was it ever a concern early on when you started photographing in these countries?
1: I always had. Um I, I was always brave. I knew that if I I traveled eight thousand miles, I'm not going to not take a picture. I took my chances. Uh, I think if you're not aggressive, assertive, audacious, and and you get in there, you're you're just not going to be satisfied. I think a lot of photographers ask me, you know, how'd you get that, or you know, how does that, how do you do that? You know, you're there. Sometimes people just get bored of you because. I'll go to Old Delhi. I'll spend hours, and they'll get used to me being there. Mm -hmm. And this is the case with every photographer. They'll just forget I'm there. So when they're not looking, boom, 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 boom. But you don't ask. You can't can't go thinking, oh, I'm going to ask a person if I can take their picture. A lot of people are angry about that approach. I'm just giving you the truth. The way I feel. It's my I-M-H-O. My humble opinion.
0: As you said, India itself can be pretty chaotic in terms of what's happening, like especially in the city in terms of – because I've seen videos like of street traffic and just people – I mean, there's just so many people. There's just so much stuff going on. Do you, do you see that being a photographer in the midst of all that activity is an advantage for you considering the way that you shoot?
1: I, I wear two masks and I tr- – Try not to get sick, and I love the chaos of cities. Bangladesh has twenty, I think twenty. I think there's twenty-three million people in Dhaka, the capital. It's the size of New York, or a little bigger than New York. Once I leave the hotel, there are about fifty people around me. If I stop in an area, I'll have a crowd of about fifty people. They're not. They're there because they're curious. You know, I've never seen another uh, photographer in Bangladesh when I was there shooting, except local photographers shooting uh, the big event that happens every January, the Hajj, they call it, Bishwa Ishtema, where there's two million people that congregate in Tungi, outside of Dhaka. So it makes it easier if there's a lot of people, right? The more and more there are, they're not looking at me. They're looking at uh, not bumping into other people. The greatest cities, like well, there's Delhi, there's Kolkata, there's Mumbai, there's Varanasi. You can't walk on the sidewalks in Varanasi. You Used to be able to, thirty years. You can't now. And it's just there's too much. There's too much going on uh, near the water, near the Ganges. So tourists are basically taunted and. It's it's not pleasant i'm going to be very honest it's it's not a, it's not a pleasant scene if you're going to shoot india uh and really shoot it intensely i mean you can go snap and snap and go back to your hotel and say oh that was beautiful but i mean if you really want to get into the muck you got to you got you're going to step in things uh you're going to you're going to see things that are not pretty you're going to meet people that want money from you. You're going to be surrounded by beggars. Uh, this is nothing new or novel because they'll do the same thing to the people from their own country. So you're up against uh, barriers, and you have to know how to deal, and you learn that through the years of experience. As I said, you have to know how to dance and dodge and uh, run, sneak use your zoom uh if you're going with a 35 or 50 millimeter i i don't know what you're doing i guess you're just taking up portraits and but all that is fun (laughs) it's fun and then you get exhausted and tired and so you go back to your comfortable hotel and you you cool off because there's just so much you can
0: take you know it gets really hot after 10 o'clock yeah yeah that's one of the things i think about in terms of when i'm shooting in terms of being really self-aware about where i'm at physically mentally because it could really affect you know my performance when i'm out there making photographs you know what are the things that you do in order to you know make things like the heat and the humidity not be so distracting from what you're doing because you know it seems like you know this isn't disneyland so there are a lot of things that can take a toll on you physically and mentally. Um, so what do you, works for you in terms of being able to stay focused and make your photographs? You start off
1: in the morning with a backpack. It's empty. It's 6.30 in the morning. You've got three layers of shirts, and you've got a hoodie. You've got a scarf, and you get into an auto rickshaw, and it's about 35, 40 degrees. Because I only go in the winter. I can talk about when I went in the summer, and it was outrageous i, I couldn 't handle it winter and then at ten o'clock it starts to get seventy five eighty degrees, so you start taking off layers, putting it in your backpack, and you 're basically left like I am now and so you, you, the heat and, and the heat, if we can switch this to the Dominican Republic is totally oppressive at ten thirty i i can 't shoot I have to go back and get a fan and lots of water and hang, it's oppressive. It's so the heat is an extremely important element. You have to get up early and maybe go out at 5 o'clock if you want to. I'm usually so tired, and I, and I usually like to have my first beer at about 5.30. <laughs> do, you, do you make pho- uh, photographs in the evening? I try I try not to. I have. I've shot the Muharram, M-U-H-A-R-R-A-M. That's the Islamic festival commemorating the Shiite Muslims. And they they did their, they whipped themselves, they cut themselves with swords, Mm -hmm. and it took place at night. And so I had no choice. So that, mostly I don't for safety reasons. Plus, I don't really love looking at dark. I don't like looking at photos at night in India doesn't please me. And I like to enjoy my, my evenings without the, without the camera. And I knew I get up, I go to sleep really early so I can get up early.
0: That's a good move. That's a good move. Yeah. That's, I like that idea of not constantly just thinking that you have to shoot all day and night, you know, that you have your morning where the light is good, you're comfortable, and then you can enjoy, you know, part of your day that it's not just so photo focused 24 seven.
1: No. No. You won't get good pictures either. Well, it's all subjective anyway, right? Do you when you when you get back, do you look through your photographs or do you
0: wait till you go home?
1: I never look at my photos there. I, I'll look at one to see if it's com- they're coming out in the camera. And I, I've 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 not seen probably about fifty thousand images I've taken already. I've not even seen I take my time and i I go through each one, you usually trash half of them anyway, yeah, and the other half you may want to work with you may not i mean basically we're just out there, but you know I'm on continuous high, so it's i am going seven frames a second yeah i don't i don't I'm, i i i i, I, I look at my photo yesterday I, just, I I took that, and it's marvelous it's I'm proud of it, but I don't remember taking it. So I usually come home with
0: eleven thousand images. My trip—it's about eleven thousand. So, so tell me about the process of going th- going through them. That's a lot of photographs. So you know you can't do that in one one sitting. So how do you do? You have a sort of system for going through the photographs? Oh God, no!
1: It's years. Yeah, Photoshop.
0: I mean I've I've IMAX with great But you have a process when you're browsing when you're browsing through them, for example, and you got that many. Do you say, okay, I'm gonna wait a couple of weeks or maybe even months before I go through the photographs and then I'm gonna go through a certain batch periodically. How does that work for you?
1: Willy nilly, I'll just go and click on one and see if I like it and work on it. I, I don't have a system that way. No, I'm not that meticulous that way. I just, I do have them in their folders of their dates, but I'll just pick a folder and see what I like. And I'm hard on myself sometimes. I throw things out, and people around me say, Why did you do that? So I, I want to make sure that it represents what I feel and what I think is important for my audience to see. I can't wait to go back. I just wish you know this pandemic was over.
0: That's really yeah. Uh, yeah. You're not the only one. Uh, when it, you know when you look at you know your body of work over so many years, how do you think you've developed as a photographer? When you when you take a look at your early work and compared to now, what what do you think? How have you evolved when you take a look at your images?
1: Gotten closer to 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 the to the subject. Sometimes I'll use more black and white. I'll work with photos, uh, not just, uh, you know, chromatic. How have I progressed? Um, I don't know. People have told me I have. I, I'm trying to figure out because I think my old stuff's good. It, 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 maybe I'm less conscious of going out there and shooting in the late, later years. Maybe it's, I'm more. I'm, I'm, I'm braver. I'm more courageous. I'll just go, hey, look, I'm great. I'm good. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to go out there. At the beginning, I may not have. So I didn't know the culture that well. With, mm-hmm. So maybe I'm getting stronger, I'm getting people's eyes, their eyeballs. I'm getting closer and, and more emotion. So And that comes with experience, too. There's less throwaways these days. The last five trips, it's hard to decide because I like all five of the same person if i'm working one person it's hard to decide plus and it's important uh we had film and uh digital is immediate automatic i could take a hundred of you know something and erase it if i don't like so it's i love the, digi- the digital realm it's i'm addicted to it so it's made it's made shooting easier and i think in doing and getting more shots of something you may not get an out of focus shot in the past you're shooting one and the film's over you got to change you may miss shots so the digital in summation the digital era has really innovated photography for the street shooter i think the way i shoot
0: benefits uh, some some of the money from this book is going to be going to uh, doctors without borders who you work with in the past Tell me about that. Your collaboration with them and and why you chose them.
1: Been donating to them for decades. They were invited to one or two of my shows in Manhattan, and representatives did come. And I, they must have. I I didn't handle the financial matters, but they must have had some photos sold, and I just gave it to them. They're amazing amazing charity and uh i am forever dedicated to them and do i have the guts they don't really need psychiatrists that the big demand is surgeons and doctors that that are on you know hands-on so i never they've never had openings for psychiatrists although probably have psychologists but it's been mostly donations and, and and it will stay that way but I don't know of any other organization that has gone through so much trouble to help so many people without, you know,
0: without a whimper. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, they're they a wonderful organization. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone. Someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why?
1: I'll, I'll tell you why I got into photography. Cartier-Bresson has a picture of Kashmir, Srinagar, Shiner- and there's Muslim ladies on a hill. It's black and white. I saw it when I was 14. That's, that's amazing. And they're praying towards the Himalaya mountains. So I'm not so i'm not a fanatic for carter brisson but james knackway and the turnley brothers uh don McCulland, mccurry is is great so those you know the the, but i want to focus on glenn Losak and (laughs) (laughs) maybe
0: one day i'll make my mark well, I'm glad to be able to share uh, your story and your work with, with my audience. And Glenn, thank you so much for your, for your time today. I so appreciate it. It's an honor. Thank you so very much for asking me. It's nice for having me. Thanks to Glenn for joining us. Follow Glenn on Instagram by following his tag at Glenn And that's Glenn with two N's. And check out his book, which is available now to order. Your thoughts and feelings about this show really matter. And if you haven't already, please write a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to podcasts. It helps us to stand out among the many thousands of podcasts that are out there. Your voice makes a big difference. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. We also provide a series of eBooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin MacLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompitech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.